And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Chris Thomas. <clears throat> and I'm Ryan Oliver. How are you doing, Ryan? I, I'm doing pretty well. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing okay. I uh, I'm curious to see how this episode goes. It's probably going to be amongst one of our shorter ones. Uh, although saying that now, that probably jinxed us, and this is going to be a three-hour one. Who knows? <laughs> I hope not. Let's not let it be a three-hour <laughs> episode on these movies. And not to, say, I mean, they're my picks. So you know, it's it's I I chose this. I did this. Um, and I basically chose this for a couple reasons. Uh, I teased it at the end of our last main feed episode. These are live-action Disney remakes, uh, mm. which really. I'm going to say this boon probably started with 2014's Maleficent because um, that's when they probably started consistently coming out. An argument could be made for 2010's Alice in Wonderland uh, grossing a mm. billion dollars, uh, which I was going to say we don't need to talk about, but we probably inevitably will briefly touch on when we get to our what for very obvious oh. reasons. Yeah. Because um, there's a direct connection there. Um but I, I chose this for a couple reasons. The, number one, like when our lives get a little busy, um, sometimes it's nice to just pick a category of episodes that aren't as like taxing, uh, whether it be like uh, like intellectually taxing or emotionally taxing or you don't have to do a bunch of research on them. They're just sort of things that like, you know, we know and can talk about them. So that's nice. And so that's part of it. And then the other reason is you're listening to this episode on April 28th, which is weird to say because we're recording this well in advance because of Mm -hmm. uh, work events coming up, um, that uh, there is a new uh, live action Disney movie that's on Disney Plus, uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, But uh, I decided to use it as an excuse to sing the praises of the movie that Peter Pan and Wendy director David Lowry already wants directed for Disney. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess... That probably already gives it away. Plus, if you've clicked on the episode, you've read the title. So, so it doesn't matter. It so you know. why don't we just do the picks and we'll get right into it. For the good, I have chosen Pete's Dragon from 2016, directed by David Lowry. For the bad, I have chosen The Lion King from 2019, directed by John Favreau. And for the what, I have chosen Dumbo, also from 2019, directed by Tim Burton. But we will get started with Pete's Dragon. I was out here at the Eastern Pad. But that's... 50 miles east. From where we found him. Hey. Wait, 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 wait. Do you know where your parents are? Your family? I guess he was on a picnic or a camping trip. He wandered off and got himself lost. Been out in the woods, doing things his own way. Sounds like a boy after your own heart. How long has he been out there? Six years. Nobody can survive in that forest for six years. At least not alone. You'll see. I have Elliot. Who's Elliot? I guess maybe a good place to start here would uh, to ask Chris is, um, what is your familiarity with the original Pete's Dragon? 
None at all. Same. Absolutely zip. And Zero. I I should have watched it ahead of this, but like I know I know it's not one of the most beloved Disney movies. Um mm-hmm. it's pretty low uh from from my understanding. It's really long too. Like I, I was sort of like reading some old archival oh reviews. It's like two hours and ten minutes. Two hours and fourteen according to Google. Yeah. Is it really? Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, this one's an hour and forty two minutes, the David Lowry one. So Thank you, David Lowry. Well, and also they decided because uh the original one is also a musical, uh, of course, because the mm. Peach Dragon mm-hmm. came out in the age of like Bedknobs and Broomsticks and Mary Poppins. So yep. um it's definitely not as revered as either of those two movies, and I don't think Bedknobs and Broomsticks is uh an overall revered one though somewhat a movie we had a vhs at my grandma's house when i was a kid so i've seen it a considerable amount of times um but why don't i just get the synopsis out of the way and i'll ask what you thought about this movie um after a tragic car accident surviving orvin pete played by oaks fagley encounters a furry green dragon in the woods of the pacific northwest and names him elliot based on a book that his parents read to him six years later pete is discovered by forest ranger grace makeham uh played by bryce dallas howard and lumber mill owner jack magari played by Wes bentley who bring him in and reintroduce him to civilization elliot sets out to find pete catching the attention of gavin magari uh and hopefully i'm pronouncing these names correctly uh played by carl urban jack's curmudgeonly brother who sets out to capture the dragon um chris this was a first time watch for you right it was yeah okay and what did you think of it um it's it's good uh, it's a kids movie, and so then I you know went in with you know tempered expectations of like this isn't going to blow me away or anything. But then also, uh, I mean not to not to sound like a curmudgeon, uh, but I don't really watch movies of this ilk very much anymore. I don't have any reason to. I don't have any family around. I don't spend time with like my nephews and stuff are all on the other coast, and I don't have any children. So I really don't venture into family movies very often anymore. And if I ever do, it's not like a lot of magic to them. I would say like the closest that I get is Pixar movies, but those are kind of made for a split audience. Like there's stuff in there that's for adults and for kids. Like if you go watch Soul, that's not purely a movie for children. There's enough in there for adults to, to chew on and whatnot. So when we're talking about remaking Disney classics, I'm like, okay, these are pure made-for-children audience-type things. I can't expect it to be too highbrow. However, Pete's Dragon is very well made, and I want to give a huge kudos to David Lowry. This was it's, – it's a very, very strong vision. You can really tell um, – his influence on the movie especially uh, i i personally love his movie uh, a ghost story mm-hmm. uh, which you know coming soon to an episode of good bad what near you um there w- is enough of this uh, grounded realism fantasy that is not um not piecemealed out to the audience like it's very abruptly up front here's a dragon like this is the world that we're in and we're we're off and running with it and i appreciated a lot of like not toying with the audience presenting them with the situation as it is and then just letting you sort of revel in the magic of the world that it's set up and it it just gave me sort of like this warm feeling and comfortable feeling and familiar feeling um that i really didn't get out of either of the other two movies it's an element that 
is associated with family films, of course, for me. But it's easy to fumble, and I was I was really really happy with the way the Peace Dragon handled uh, the story. Uh, e- even though not growing up watching the 1977 original, it reminded me a lot of Where the Wild Things Are, which was a big part of my childhood as a kid. So there was still like a level of connection there of like I am familiar with this adventure and these feelings. It's funny that you brought that up because the movie I would probably most compare it to is Spike Jones's adaptation of Where the Wild Things Are, which mm. I know you haven't seen and coming soon to a good bad what near you because that movie is a masterpiece. This one mm. Is good. It's very, very good. And I, I should say that, um, you know, I saw this in the theater in 2016. Uh, yes, I have children now, but I did not at the time. But I was always down to see... I will always go see something from a filmmaker that I like. And I will also see something that is, like, very well received on top of that fact. So, like, painting a picture of the summer of 2016, this was, like, an August release, uh, Peach Dragon was. And I was... Uh, 2016 was a good summer overall. Like I got married that summer and, you know, a lot of big career change stuff. But like, as far as like going to the multiplex, like I remember that summer just being bummed out consistently (laughs) one weekend after another. Like it was just like, um, just like even like the big, big massive successes of that summer, which were like Captain America Civil War. Like, which mm-hmm. I, I hate to use the term ever since I stopped doing a podcast with it in it, but I, I would say it's a bit overrated in my opinion of, of Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. Um, Finding Dory, I didn't really care much for, which was the other like big hit of that summer. And then it's like a, other things I w- was excited about were sort of like disappointing, like Star Trek Beyond, eh, it was okay. Jason Bourne, eh, it was okay. Ghostbusters 2016 fell way short of what I was hoping that movie would would be. Um, Conjuring 2 and eh, X-Men Apocalypse, terrible. Like, it was just like a really bad amount of slop with like the only saving graces being Pop Star Never Stop Never Stopping <laughs> and Pete's Dragon. Um, so like when I got to Pete's Dragon and the movie started and it was like, you know, and the setup is like quite beautiful, and and I, I I do understand. I think the movie's a kids' movie for a lot of reasons, and I, there's a lot of like some convenient sort of plotting stuff that you'll find in a movie like this. But I'm like, but most kids' movies don't um, start with a fatal car accident, no, <laughs> in which both parents die and a young three to four ish year old survives. Um, and so it was like it opens pretty dark. But then immediately, like you said, it's really cool how, like, the movie's Spielbergian, I think, in a lot of ways, which we'll get into. But the one way it's not is that they're not concealing the dragon. Right up front, he, like, gets out in the woods trying to figure out what's happening, young Pete, and runs into the dragon. And we see it Mm. in its entirety in the first, like, five minutes of the movie. There's no, like, attempt to conceal. There's no, like, poking through the, the... window of the jeep like jurassic park like it's Mm -hmm. nope there's a dragon now (laughs) and like you said that's the world that we live in um but like david lowry's touch in this movie is definitely felt especially because at the time this was only a second directorial feature it was after ain't them bodies saints uh which is also a great movie i love that movie um and that one's more like lovers on the run set in the backwoods of texas even though this is Pacific Northwest, I found it kind of interesting that, like, the music choices had a more southern Texas feel to it, which, like, wasn't bad. I think it fit the tone of the movie, but I was like, but this doesn't fit the location of mm-hmm. the movie being set whatsoever. Um, 
but it's an incredibly warm movie. I think Bryce Dallas Howard is very good in this movie. Um, and this came out of summer after the first Jurassic World, which was also another monster movie starring her that I found terrible, <laughs> like just, right. just, just awful. And so it's like, I thought she was great in it. Um, cast all the way around is really strong. Um, Robert you know, Redford, Robert Redford, happy to see him. He's also great in Lowry's the old man and the gun. Um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I guess went West Bentley's character who is good in the movie was supposed to be played by Casey Affleck. Uh, hmm. cause he's in a bunch of Lowry's movies. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's a ghost story and ain't the body saints and yeah. old man and the gun. Um, but I think there was a scheduling conflict, so he had to drop out. Um, but it's really well done. And I think that, uh, we can probably touch on a couple other things here and there, but I, I mentioned Spielbergian and I have to point out the irony in that I feel like, the one person who would probably agree with that statement is Steven Spielberg himself, because young Oaks Fagley, who plays Pete, it's his most f- recent film credit was The Fablemans. So, mm. <laughs> directed by Steven Spielberg. So there, you've got your your six degrees of separation right there. Um, <laughs> no, I I I like that the movie. It so it sets the way it sets it up is that it has the ability to go the mystery route. I mean, there's even that sort of portion where the children are all gathered around Robert Redford and he's like oh I was in the woods one day and I uh, saw a dragon and I fought it off with it like there there is a way for them to set it up as a legend and then piecemeal it out and I'm glad that they didn't do that but then also like the 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 child from the woods is not a new element within Disney either I mean of course we have you know Jungle Book Tarzan uh, this, Tarzan uh, the, the it's not exactly reinventing the wheel here and i think that that may have been something that you know sort of bit the original pete's dragon again i haven't seen it so i don't know if it followed this exact formula but it had a it had a really great way of presenting this material in a way to where it felt fresh enough and yes i would say that i i there was nothing really in pete's dragon that surprised me I mean, I uh, Megan was in the room with me when I started watching the movie, and when they're driving down the road and talking about going on an adventure, and the the mother is looking over her shoulder lovingly and and talking to her son, and um, everything it's like golden hour lit, and there's like uh, the the lens is like there's light blooming in the lens and stuff, and I turned to Megan and I went, "They're gonna die in a car wreck," <laughs> like, I I like knew it immediately. I was like, "They're gonna kill these fuckers in a car wreck," and they did, like, and it, it, that's even shot really well i think there's some really brilliant sequences of like just the way that the camera moves in the frame and reveals these things yeah um not just with that car wreck but with uh how uh pete's dragon um which is oh god is it um it's not ellie what is the drag elliot elliot um, yeah he had yeah. a dog about a puppy named mm-hmm. elliot uh the puppy lost its way or, or whatever it's called yeah the, the 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 children's story that he reads that's the puppy that lost its way yeah yeah um you get your ass out there and you find that fucking dog no i the the way that it's sort of piecemealed out like then you get carl urban introduced as the um he's like the gaston he he like doesn't recognize that the beast is actually friendly and that there's a relationship there he thinks that he's doing the right thing by hunting and so like the, the there are piecemeal elements here that you're like okay got a little bit of beauty in the beast got a little bit of the sword in the stone got a little bit of tarzan and like all these little things make this amalgamation but it doesn't feel like plug and play the movie 
to come to a soulless end that's like we checked all the boxes give us your money now it does feel like a complete vision throughout which is why i give so much credence to david lowry with doing this is that i think with a less less deft hand behind the camera making this movie it would have felt like a paint by numbers we made a kids movie now you pay us 100 percent. i think the the biggest ingredient to making it feel fresh and i feel why it's easy to um i don't want to say glaze over some of these either conveniences or these things that you've seen in other movies but it just feels fresh is there's there's such a melancholy to this movie um it's warm mm-hmm. but there's like there's sort of an overall sort of sense of loss and this sense of like you know family like obviously pete's parents die in a car wreck but like we learn uh bryce Dallas howard's character's mother died when she was young um and so she sort of like and her father uh robert redford had told stories about this dragon and so she sort of believed it and so she's got a strong connection to the forest and that's why she became the forest ranger in the first place um but there's also this just you know there's a sense of connection um there's also a great like when you get into these movies i love that this movie is more story than plot like that's always Mm -hmm. such a big like importance is like the plot is sort of besides the point in this movie it's sort of a it's about the journey and usually when a movie's like pretty plot heavy the second act is where things can get like wobbly and the second act is arguably probably the biggest strength of this movie because we get a, a not a one but like a dual fish out of water scene and it's like really charming and actually like works. Um, I feel like because of that melancholy and because of that warmth, uh, where like young Pete is you know being brought home by Bryce Dallas Howard and by uh, Wes Bentley and is sort of like learning like basically what he's missed for six years because he's lived out in the woods for six years and has no like idea how to be a human being. Um, so you have. And I also like, want to say he looks kind of like the feral kid from the Road Warrior. I know. Which was I hard thought for me to put out of my mind. I thought that's the same thing. That's a great call out. Um, but there's that element, and then meanwhile, you know, because they've lived together for six years, him and Elliot have such a strong connection. Elliot starts, you know, he moves out from the woods and starts going into town, and has like a sense of like like follies, but they're actually like genuinely surprisingly funny in and of himself in a way that's not like uh, i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but like it actually plays really well like he you know mm. he does he does do the jurassic park kind of peek through the window and uh the girl in the hospital's like mom there's a there's a monster outside she's like, uh-huh yes dear like not even paying attention or the the scene i laughed like so hard at was like he flew over and like two people bringing a body out of uh like an ambulance bed uh like on one of those stretchers uh, see him and they like immediately drop and the body falls out and the scene cuts like almost immediately after they fall out of the stretcher <laughs> it's like I it's like coffin flop yeah exactly <laughs> episode after bodies episode, busting out of shit wood, wood hitting pavement, pavement. <laughs> go ahead change the channel I'll kill, I'll kill you. you we can show them naked cause they don't got no souls <laughs> so yeah, that my my head probably automatically like auto corrected that like jump without even like consciously knowing it. Um, Any association your brain can make back to, I think you should leave. And then immediately like rockets the movie up a couple of points. Absolutely, yeah. Like my like it's my brain's own uh, Microsoft Word. It's just like, oh, you meant I think you should leave. Like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> That's your your internal Clippy is voiced by Tim Robinson. 
Are you trying to watch I Think You Should Leave? <laughs> Slop him up. Always, Clippy. Always. Uh, <laughs> but, but but that element of the movie is actually the most enjoyable part. Like, oh, yeah. it, And that's rare that that happens. Um, and even, I, I love that everything is so understated, too. Like, uh, specifically, the scene where you would think there would be, like, a sort of, like, big blowout. Like, because Pete... Uh, not Pete, excuse me, Elliot does find where Pete's at eventually. And he's, uh, Wes Bentley's reading the puppy who lost his way or whatever that book is. <laughs> <laughs> Henceforth known as the puppy who lost yeah. his way. And he starts reading it and Pete goes, oh, that's not the way I read it. And Wes Bentley goes, well, do, do you want me to stop? And he's like, oh, no, no, I, I, I like it. Pete or uh, Elliot hears that and is like. Like, you could see this look on his face, which, like, the articulation of the dragon is super great. Weta Digital did the effects for him, mm. so it looks incredible. Uh, it's also furry, which, like, makes it super, like, warm. It's not scaly like you'd find yeah, in, yeah. in something else. So, um, that's super cool. But, like, Elliot looks, like, g- deeply upset and goes back in the woods. Um, but then the next day they do go out and find where Elliot's at and it's not like a big oh we can't find him and it's not like a big I'm sorry you're like it's not this big like emotional yeah, walking moment. around Elliot yeah oh, and like their cross dissolves as they venture further and further yeah, yeah he just he knows where he would be at and sort of like and we see presumably off screen whatever the reconciliation is and it's like David Lowry has a trust in the audience which is like huge because he's not only trusting like adults but children to like understand and pick up on this and i think like it comes across honestly like i think you know um not to go off on a bit of a tangent here but it's like i think kids are much more resilient and can pick up on that stuff than like we do give them credit for especially like watching movies with my son and sort of like seeing it through his eyes you know like for example I don't want to talk too much about this because it is an actual movie that we will talk about on a Patreon episode coming up. But like we went to go see the Super Mario Brothers movie and Mm -hmm. without really being descriptive, I'll just say that movie is very over caffeinated. Let's just say um, is the way I would describe it. And and my my son did not enjoy that. And so like I took him to see a little couple months prior, took him to see Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Which I thought maybe, because I had seen it ahead of time, I was like, hey, it might be too dark, but we'll see. Um, but, like, the movie's got, like, a visual and verbal wit to it, and there's actually, like, mm-hmm. moments of calm. Um, and he stayed and, like, watched that whole movie. So, it's like, kids can pick up on these things. They don't have to be bashed over the head with the thing that is happening. And so, right. I really, I mean... I thought that was well done in 2016, but like, especially watching it now with like the life I've lived since then, I'm like, this is like really well done. And so, um, I thought that was like a really smart thing to do. It's like, cool. This is a scene you'd normally have in this, but like, you know, this scene. So let's just skip through it and get to what you're here to like for and still have it be emotionally impactful is, is a really smart thing to do. Well, I think kids are, are inherently better tuned into mood, whereas adults are are more looking for the story. Like, right. I mean, the story of The Lion King, which we'll get to next, is Hamlet. And so mm-hmm. if you take, like, the story beats of Hamlet, it's an adult story in that there's, you know, uh, double-crossing and backstabbing and, and you know, familial uh, murder and uh, patricide and uh, all of this going on, but then presented in The Lion King, Kids can understand that when your dad dies, 
that's tragic. Kids can understand that when, you know, uh, 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 Simba is sad. It's very clear that he's sad. And so, like, they more or less just need to get into the vibe of understanding the hero's journey of started on a high point, now at a low point, has to get back to that high point and ultimately triumph. And that's where the enjoyment comes from. And then there's some fun songs and, and Pumpa farts sometimes. That's going to do everything that you're going to need for a child. And so I, I'm, you're spot on that in this movie, the it's more about the emotional beats for the characters and where they're at in the journey than it is the story. Cause the story is contained within like a one mile radius. Really? <laughs> like there's, there's not much that happens in the movie. If you write it down on paper of like parents die six years later, kid gets discovered by Bryce Dallas Howard, semi adopted kind of a falling out with dragon friend gets back together with dragon friend um misinterpreted uh, uh monster by carl urban who sh- attacks the the dragon tries to get rich because he's slimy they bust the dragon out dragon escapes everybody's happy at the end so like as an arc it's pretty simplistic in, in like a beat sheet sort of way but there's a lot more going on there that's presented to the audience yeah that that carries you through it to where like, you're not worried about like, Oh man, there's not a lot going on. You're having a fun time with the characters on screen. Um, and especially a fun time in the scenes where, uh, uh, Elliot's actually like doing cool dragon shit. Yes. We are like, this would be fun for, uh, however old Elliot is in the movie, like 10 or whatever. Yeah. Um, this would be a very fun experience for a 10 year old. I can understand why this is a kid's movie and I'm having fun too. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's a shame that this movie didn't do as well as it probably should have. Um, mm. I wouldn't say it was like a flop. I think it made like 78 domestic and 138 worldwide on a 60 million budget. Um, okay. So it's like it did okay, but it wasn't. It didn't light the world on fire, and and it's a shame because it probably should have over some of these other ones that have have made a mint um you know which was almost probably a cue to swing into the next movie but i did want to like just go back really quickly to to agree with you about like if you're looking at this in a beat sheet way 100 percent like there's not a lot of like uh external stakes or collateral stakes like however you want to phrase that but there's a lot of interpersonal stakes between the characters and that's i feel often what matters and sometimes gets lost in our sort of spectacle driven uh movie going diet so it's nice to have that reintroduced and reintroduced reintroduced in a way that you know kids can pick up on and it works for adults too um and that's i think that's just what happens when you uh hand the keys pretty much the keys and i got to assume creative freedom to to a filmmaker like David Lowry. Like, I, I, well, I can't like imagine... Like you said, the 77 was kind of a stinker. So it's not like they were really risking a, a big Disney staple that if they if they flub this, people would lose confidence. Yeah. No, that's true. I guess that's... He probably had the most wiggle room, too, because it's like, here's a movie that's not so beloved, so here's how you do a remake. of You strip it down. You take the, the basic conceit, a young right. boy and his dragon... And you just strip it down to its essentials and you tell a totally different story with a different tone. And like, that's, that's how you do a remake. Like you take something that wasn't, that maybe was a good idea, didn't really work out. And then you make a new version of it. And like hundred percent, like right. slam dunk. I like, as far as the Disney remakes, which I've seen most, I haven't seen all of them, but this to me, it's like, 
bar none the best one like considerably (laughs) well and i really haven't seen a lot either like i said i really don't venture into the family films pool very often um but having not seen the 77 original i'm still just like this has to be one of the better if not the best of the remakes because as we'll get to in our next one remakes for the most part don't really need to exist unless you have a singular vision that differs from the original uh or if you just like shit loads of money then i guess that's another reason to make a remake yeah um so i guess maybe that's maybe that's just our cue maybe we just i will say this go watch peach dragon like if yes. you haven't seen it you should 100% watch it. It's on Disney+. Plus. Who are we kidding? These are all on Disney+. Plus. So Especially if you got kids, this would go over gangbusters with kids. Absolutely. It still might be it might be a little too old for, for my son at the moment. Uh, mm. ah, actually, you know what? I bet if I fast-forwarded the first like two minutes, it would be yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, the car wreck is really the only thing that I think would be real traumatizing because it's like dead parents. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess speaking of dead parent, let's move to talk about the Lion King. <laughs> Run away, Simba. And never return. <laughs> you must take your place. circle of life uh, uh disney's got a thing for killing parents they man. do which like <laughs> my son's so funny because he we've watched the animated lion king many many times at this mm-hmm. point and like first time or two we fast forward the the canyon scene um mm-hmm. but he was like he's like i want to watch the whole thing and so we did let him do it once and we have we have proceeded to go back to fast forwarding through the canyon didn't he didn't handle it did not well it's not that he didn't handle it i think he just was more very upset of like what what happened why is simba crying it's like well yeah you know. it's like, well, that's why we fast forward <laughs> this part buddy exactly um you want to watch bambi next yeah exactly uh as far but the 2019 one i wish i could have fast forwarded the whole movie oh my god yes so uh i will read the synopsis really quick have you seen the 1994 original that's a high watermark for animation, contains memorable songs, and Shakespearean heft to the drama? This version begs the question, what if that film was done exactly the same except 20 minutes longer, looked like a Nat Geo documentary, set Can You Feel the Love Tonight in Broad Daylight, and cut the best song, Be Prepared, down to a single verse and in spoken word? Look on a mask of my boy. Um, so, this, yeah, uh, this was a blind pick, actually, um... Mainly because I I have tried to avoid the quote-unquote shot-for-shot Disney remakes. Mm. I will always try to have something different. Like, right? Where, like, we talked a little bit on this off mic. That's why I didn't pick, like, Cruella or Maleficent as the bad. I don't like mm. those movies. I don't think they're good movies. But they did try to do something different. And I cannot give enough credit for that. But when I saw... 2017's Beauty and the Beast in abject horror on a plane, which is probably my favorite Disney movie, the anim- the 1991 version. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not... If these are shot for shot, if I hear that these are shot for shot, 
I am not watching these movies because there's no reason to do it. Uh, So I didn't see The Lion King in the theater and I didn't see the Guy Ritchie Aladdin, which also, from my understanding, is shot for shot. Um, I think there's like another big one like this. Um, But it was a first time watch for you and a first time watch for me. Uh, I guess I'll just ask, what did you think of The Lion King 2019? It was it was kind of a first time watch. Um, I guess mean, <laughs> that's true. It wasn't really. <laughs> it's it's literally like there's a there's a couple of different jokes uh, that weren't in the original movie, but like that that's not a you don't watch a two hour movie because some of the ad libs might be different from the original animated version. Like to your point of like I wish I could have fast forwarded through this movie. Like you know I, I like a podcast or something that you kind of want to listen to in the background this is something they probably could have said to set to like 1.5 speed and <laughs> and just gotten through it much much quicker and been like nope yep i get the gist of it i don't even need to catch all the dialogue it's literally beat for beat the exact same thing but with worse performances in the voice acting in some cases especially in scar's case like, yeah which is weird cuz i love chuatel for, but like he's just like totally he sounds asleep at the wheel. I'm not going to like fault him. It's just like whatever he's told to do mm. is not like working. And even like the weirdest one is, is Mufasa because it's also, it's played by James Earl Jones yet again. And it's like, he's, yep. he's older, uh, you know? And so like, you could sense that, but you could just sense this, this sense of fatigue, not necessarily with related to being old, but just at, why am I doing this? Why am I yeah. being drugged here to do? Like, I, I kind of get that sense. And I, I really haven't watched any of those Star Wars shows, but like Darth Vader keeps just popping up. And I get that sense in those as well. <laughs> that he's well like, and I think he's retired from voice acting and they're at this point just using archival uh, a library. Yeah, like an archive of, of sound bites and making new lines that way. I don't think he actually records anything anymore. You may be right. I, so he did for Rogue One, though. I do know that He did much. for Rogue One. Yeah. yeah. And, he, and I think he did for The Lion King as well, although I don't know if all of it was re-recorded. Yeah, but I, I guess I've watched an animated movie a lot, both in my life, both when I was a young kid because I loved the movie, and I still think it's a great movie, and now my sons watch it. So I, I've seen the movie a lot. It's all re-recorded. I don't mm-hmm. think there's a single line that's re like reused from the original um but a couple of them have like they're not as impactful as the original and it, it could just be like i get it i love james earl jones i love his voice and i love his performance in the original one and i really couldn't like if you were going to be remaking the lion king which of course they did so there doesn't even have to be an if in that statement but i could see john favreau being like i can't like remake the lion king and then recast mufasa like it has to be james earl jones i can see that picking in his brain but at the same time like james earl jones now like he's an older man he's not even making films really anymore he's not probably going to be up to task to recapture the performance that he got in the original and i don't know if having him back there really like sealed the deal for me like hearing his voice in here didn't make me go like ah okay now i feel warm and fuzzy like fondly remembering the lines from the 1994 original i was just like eh, he did better than the original yep no absolutely I, I i hopefully i gotta see if i could just rip the sound bites because like i especially noticed it in like specific lines like you could see you, you could hear the pep in the step in the original of like simba you deliberately disobeyed mm-hmm. me and this one's more like you deliberately disobeyed me like it's very like sort of just like yeah. Like sort of like he's like, reading. Again, he's reading. Yeah, he is reading. And man, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start off 
Let's not start off. We've already gone into the conversation. <laughs> I, I want to highlight the one good thing about the movie because it's not much. And it's all attributed to the VFX team. Cause oh, sure. I don't necessarily like it for this material, but what they pulled off is pretty incredible. Like, uh, all of it looks great. There's like 2,000 VFX shots in this movie. I mean, the whole thing is. Um, some of this tech they used, I think, was a trial run for Avatar The Way of Water. Um, so, like, what they did was incredible from that. But, like, I just, like, the whole time, I'm just like, why, though? Because I, to go back a little bit, you mentioned John Favreau, which, of course, you know, he directed this. And he got signed on to do this movie almost immediately after The Jungle Book. Because he did the 2016 remake of The Jungle Book, which made almost a billion dollars. Um, I actually liked the 2016 Jungle Book. Um, I, maybe some of that depends on your, uh, like, love for the original. I never... I've seen, I saw the Jungle Book when I was a kid, but it was never one in the rotation. So, um... So I actually watched the live action one more than I watched the uh, animated one. The one with Carrie Elwes as the bad guy. Oh, wow. I, I think I maybe saw that once, like, running it at the video store. <laughs> I was, for some reason, a huge fan of that movie. Hey, man, everyone's got those things that you're like, Everyone I want to make mistakes. No, I'm not saying that at all. <laughs> but, um, but like, I actually liked his, his Jungle Book movie. And so mm-hmm. when they said they were going to do Lion King in the same vein, I was like, well... The Jungle Book at least has Mowgli. Like, you at least have somebody interacting with the world. And so the sort of seamless blend, like, you know, made it what I would call quote-unquote live action. But they're like, we're going to do Lion King this way. And I was like, there's no humans in the Lion mm-hmm. King. So what? <laughs> like, that's a baffling decision, number one. And then number two, like, when, in animation, you can do so much like the the sky's the limit like i remember a cartoonist came to visit like to do a presentation in elementary school i forget who he was but like um they said like the number one rule in cartoons is there are no rules so it's like you can get as expressive you can get as like crazy as you can get and so it's like to have a grounded realistic the lion king but still singing but i just can't wait Mm -hmm. to be king and you're like but they're just they're just running around the Sahara, like there's no like things for the musical. Like it's just like it's such a baffling decision all the way around that I was just like, yeah, why why do this? Oh well, I guess oh well we know why this movie made one point six yeah. billion dollars. That's why five hundred and thirty of that from the states. Like this was a huge hit. That no one has talked about since 2019, except for us right now. Nobody right. has said a word about this fucking movie. It came out, made a pile, and left. Like right, but I mean, like the Lion King is an economy on on its own. I mean, the original movie was also huge, huge gangbusters. Broadway money. play that it spun Broadway off too. Play. Yep. Yeah, like it, it it spun off some uh, unsuccessful sequels. There's uh, according to IMDb probably another less than successful sequel on the way uh that's supposed to be coming out in 2015 or 2025 i'm gonna give that the benefit of the doubt though because did you see who's directing that movie no i didn't barry jenkins is directing that movie who did moonlight and if beale street could talk okay (laughs) it's okay well then i it's also judgment it's also a prequel uh it's like about mufasa i I saw it was mufasa yeah yeah Yeah. so because it's, uh, I forgot. So you had a thought, and I interrupted you, and I'd love you to continue. But while I do that, I will look at who is the voice cast. Because I was actually like, 
okay, I I will see what's going on here. Okay. Well, I'm I'm more intrigued just because of the inclusion of Barry Jenkins than I was before. So, but, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. Go. You have you have uh, it in your hand. Go. Last thing I was gonna say, uh, uh, Mufasa is voiced by Aaron Pierre, who played uh, my guy midsize sedan in uh, M Night Shyamalan's Old, um, which we all know I'm a big fan of that movie. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Kelvin Harrison Jr. from the movie Loose and It Comes at Night, um, who's also a pretty solid actor, is Scar. Uh, and okay. also it looks like Billy Eichner and Seth Rogen are back as Timon and Pumbaa for some reason. I didn't mind Billy Eichner as Timon. Um, they... Seth Rogen as Pumbaa was very distracting. Oh, wait till you watch the Super Mario Brother movie. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> Hear the Seth Rogen laugh come out of Donkey Kong's mouth. Um, it was a little weird hearing, like, because his voice is so distinct, right? Yes. So it's like, so I, I don't. They both gave it something, which is the more I, than I could say for pretty mm-hmm. much the rest of the cast of the movie. I think they were they were trying to have fun, and it makes sense. Timon and Pumbaa are the fun comic relief roles, so it makes total mm-hmm. sense. Uh, but yeah, just but like hearing Pumbaa laugh and it just being Seth Rogen's, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're just like this is wrong. <laughs> no, well, and that and like uh, uh, Zazu is is John Oliver, and I watched last week tonight. Uh, every week so it's just like okay you're just doing your last week tonight voice um i i love donald glover but i i recognize your voice man like i watched community and, and i listened to childish gambino like i i can't displace you in my mind when i just see a facade of a lion that was such a weird thing i'm glad you brought that up because like i don't think the singing is particularly good in this movie across the board and Simba and Nala is adults are voiced by Donald Glover and Beyonce. Yeah. Like two people who can sing. Yeah. Beyonce, especially. Yes. And it's like, what is, why, why is this bad? <laughs> We're just like, why is well, this bad? <laughs> for me, I think that Beyonce maybe went a little bit overboard, like more than what was required for the, because like, like Donald Glover can sing. When he's, you know, doing his songs as Childish Gambino and stuff, he can sing, he has a voice, but, like, he's not throwing in flourishes and stuff all over the place, which Beyonce was just, like, climbing octaves and doing all sorts of stuff all over the place. It's like, that's not exactly the assignment. Like, we don't really need that in here. But it was really weird to have her, like, changing pitch and doing the Beyonce thing and jumping all around. And Donald Glover is like, nope, I'm going to hit the melody that is the melody that's written on the paper. So it's weird to have one person just, like, going for it and the other guy's like nope i'm just gonna do the assignment what's written down on paper but then my brain is like well this is childish gambino but i'm watching a kid's lion movie so like i was just in this weird in-between place where like i i don't enjoy the movie that i'm watching because it's just a ripoff of a movie that i watched a decades ago um and kind of sort of remember through hazy memory and then but everyone's doing it poorly it's like watching it's watching a 260 million dollar community theater play of a really cool movie that you saw when you were a kid it yeah, wow that's the most accurate depiction i have like a couple other things to say but it's like i almost want to end it there because i don't think of a better way to describe <laughs> the movie um but like it's yeah exactly like Beyonce's going very hard plus there's a new song uh you know probably so that they could submit it for Oscar consideration in some cases which I think oh you're right which I think it was I think this and and VFX were nominated and I I won't fault either of those things um 
but it's just yeah i i the community theater thing especially because it's like the voice work is so robust in the original like jeremy irons especially oh my god and he's so so good. sinister and just like oh. slimy and well, and again, it doesn't come across here at all. I knew that this movie was in trouble, like, well, probably earlier than this. But like when they basically cut Be Prepared down to just a verse, I was like, you cut the best song down. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> well, and then there's even like allusions later on. At one point, Timon starts to sing the beginning lines of Be Our Guest. I was going to point that out as well, because I, I was like, that's it's so shameless. This whole movie yep. is shame, But like. Because I, I was sitting here, it was kind of a fun game figuring out, like, for a while, because I had to keep myself occupied to continue watching this movie, of, like, okay, what are they going to do because they can't do, like, what they can do in animation? So, like, especially, like, that scene where they're, like, figuring out, like, when Simba's, like, live bait. And so I was like, okay, well, he's probably not going to say, what do you want me to do? Dress and drag and do the hula? Like, they probably mm-hmm. weren't going to do that sequence. And then I was like, curious what they're gonna do. And then they, they were good doing the opening lines of "Be Our Guest." I was like, this is embarrassing. Like, yeah. just like there's <laughs> there's no other word to describe it. It is embarrassing. <laughs> like, uh, well, it it's just callbacks on callbacks on callbacks on it. It, it like again, I, I don't mean to make this reference Palooza, but it reminded me of the Truman Show when he's losing his fucking mind in the kitchen, and then his wife turns around and is just like, hey why don't you have one of these and like smiles and like basically like two camera, like product placement at Taco Bell. Like, like very much (laughs) it, it felt like Disney being like, Oh, this is a perfect marketing opportunity. Put that down, put that down on the script guys, marketing opportunity. uh, One B in this scene with Timon and Pumbaa. And it's just like, this is a, this is a movie made by committee, which unfortunately they dragged John Favreau into this. And, it's it's worth noting that I was it after this or before this movie that no it's before this movie that Favreau did Chef. Um, yes, uh, he did Chef because he did. Uh, have we talked about Chef or was it off mic? We were referencing Chef at one point. Uh, we haven't had Chef on on an episode. No, yet. I know that, but I feel like we talked about it briefly because like he did. Um, oh, we might have because we did talk about Elf. We talked about Elf on an episode, oh, which is John Favreau yep. movie. Um, because, like, he did the first Iron Man, which is great. I love the first Iron Man. Oh, and yeah. then he did the Iron Man 2 and Cowboys and Aliens, and both of them were kind of a mess. And then he made Chef basically as, like, a palate cleanser for those two yeah. movies and, yeah. and a treaty on the process of the making studio those system. two movies. Yeah. Well, I think – well, here's the thing. Even though he got dragged into this, I feel like he had – I mean, I don't want to say creative control necessarily. I feel like he probably did for The Jungle Book. Um, and then Disney just really liked that version, but they were like, do whatever you want from like a technical standpoint, which like, I, I will grant John Favreau from starting in movies like Swingers and Made and being like in the indie vein of like Tarantino and Kevin Smith, like being in that like class of filmmakers in the nineties and then going on to like learn blocking for like VFX and doing Iron Man and all these movies. Like, yeah. It's really impressive. Even if the movie stunk, I, I cannot sing that praise enough. But I feel like, just like you said, The Lion King's an economy in and of itself. So Disney was probably just so protective over oh, this property. Absolutely. That they're yeah. like, you can't do anything except make it look visually however you want to do it. Yeah. But you have to include these lines of dialogue. You have to include the songs. You have to include the callbacks. And 
I mean, I guess the first one had his fair share. Like, I, I know the embarrassing uh, Be Our Guest moment, but I know there's that scene in the original where uh, Zazu's in the, the like, the cage but in, after Scar is, has taken over. And uh, he's, like, telling him to sing a song. And he goes, starts going, it's a small world after all. And Scar <laughs> goes, no, no, anything but that. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, that was in that, too, but... I, don't know. I mean, Disney's no stranger to be self-referential. I mean, in Hercules, Hercules has like the the um, the the rug that's the Namian lion. Lion, I think it's Hercules at least, and the lion's rug is is Scar's yes, skin. Absolutely. Um, it's like it's not anything new, but I think it's I think it's more for me. It comes across more cynical because the movie is a carbon copy of the original. Yes. And then they're like, well, what can we change about the remake? Oh, I know it will change more ad drops about our other intellectual properties that's the only thing that will change here and it's just like were you making a movie or were you making a product and i think i think the the vision behind the movie and the eventual box office behind the movie shows that they had no interest in in artistic endeavor i i I will you know kudos to the vfx team and everything they did because that is honestly really amazing and impressive but in in terms of these types of remakes i mean this is also what we see happening uh, i don't want to dog like this into a completely different medium but this is happening in the gaming industry as well oh sure studios are, are getting to the point where they're like okay the engines that we've been building our games on for years are too old and gamers have an appetite for things that have higher fidelity and have uh ray tracing and you know 60 frames per second locked like it's not going to cut it anymore so we need to dump a bunch of money into building entirely new engines to build our games on and we need to recoup that money quickly or we're going to go under and so you'll see things like capcom made the re engine and then they immediately remade resident evil 2 resident evil 3 and resident evil 4 like like quick succession they also did resident evil 7 and 8 but we see the same thing happening across the industry and we're seeing it in the film industry as well like okay we're gonna come up with this big new technology to do the thing but we have to remake the breadwinners we we need to do the ones that we know are going to make money and it it's just one of the things that worries me about as we see the big studios shy more and more away from original intellectual properties and instead they want to take their money and dump it into remaking the stuff the cash cows they know is going to make the money i'd much rather they took uh, like one eighth of the budget of this movie and gave it to an indie filmmaker and they were like make a, a kid's movie an original vision and you know maybe like take a risk again roll the, roll the dice like disney once upon a time you know dare to dream do yes. something new and original in the industry that no one else was doing which is what put disney on the map in the first place i agree and i feel like the only place you really find that at the mouse house these days is with pixar really mm-hmm. um still still bold so actually you know what i will rewind that i think disney walt disney animation as well um you know things like frozen and kanto like there's sure. there's still there's still a lot of innovation there. Wreck-It Ralph, um, you know, so on and so forth. So, um, but yeah, but these these things are just they're just they're just soulless. Like, and, and no evident, no more evident by this one, which is just like, just so hollow. I the the last things I will say again, I, yeah, I want to stress the VFX department. They did great. If if someone just decided with the tech, they're like, hey, as a thought exercise or a demo reel, we're gonna do the opening circle of life sequence. Because like oh, the yeah. opening, I was like, "Wow, this is really cool. This is super well done." And then the title card hits on the the drum beat exactly mm-hmm. as it does in the original. And then I, 
then we follow the mouse that Scar tries to eat for like a minute and a half. It's yeah. like five beats longer than it is in the animated film. And that's like the entire thesis of this movie. Everything mm-hmm. takes five times as long for no reason whatsoever. Um, and that's a fair point. I wonder if this movie started as a demo VFX reel and then some Disney have. execs saw it. And they're like, yeah, make that a feature. And it was like, oh. Oh, uh, oh, crap. Uh, oh, shit. What have we I, done? I, oh, no. I never intended to do. But, I mean, hey, they made $1.6 billion. So, I, I, they don't feel bad about no. it at all. They feel fucking excellent. They don't. And then the final thing I wanted to say after that is um, we already have two really great live action remakes of The Lion King uh, in Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Black Panther, um, mm-hmm. which... Uh, John Connie, who does voice Rafiki in this movie, played T'Chaka in Black Panther and Captain mm-hmm. America Civil War. So uh, watch those movies instead. Don't watch this one. <laughs> so, no. uh, well, like you said, like it's Hamlet uh, and it's on its core, right? And so mm-hmm. that's why it so works like so cross generationally. Which it's the same with Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and Black Panther. They're very Shakespearean movies. They yep. just happen to factor around like animals or animal related things so a solid drama and i mean like solid drama that appeals to adults but then you're using a medium of animals and animation to get to kids it's i mean it's a it's a tried and true recipe as we can see it works here again and i you know it sucks to say i do know that like my um i haven't heard them say it but i do know that my nephews have in the past not wanted to watch 2d animated films because anything that's 2d animated is old so if it's not 3D animated like CGI, then you know what, this is like grandpa movies. Why are we even watching it? So I I guess if you have a kid who's completely disinterested in watching 2D animation, I feel sorry for that kid. Uh, but then I guess this is the only way to break them into seeing The Lion King, which I think is it's a worth watch for that reason alone. But if you have a kid that's willing to sit through a 2D animated film watch the 1994 original it's much better in almost every single conceivable way um you know yeah absolutely and nature versus nurture i'm very blessed that i have one who does like 2d animated movies cannot get him to stop watching the original of this or any of the winnie the pooh movies Um, i mean i i think i don't think you would have stood for (laughs) your son being like i'm not gonna watch 2d animation you're like i'm gonna nurture the shit out of you until you do (laughs) this aggression will not stand (laughs) yeah um well and then also uh adam west batman i was talking with a friend who i reconnected with recently and i was like oh yeah my son's really into batman he's like well you know he's young what ones have you showed him i was like oh lego batman and adam west and he's like oh yeah he's like that probably makes the most sense and he goes and it also introduces them to watching older things so they don't think it's weird because west batman is in the 60s so and it's weird it's weird it's great (laughs) too um it's amazing yeah (laughs) but um well, I guess speaking of things that are weird, or at least from someone who was once more weird uh, than this, I, I miss I miss that version. I miss yes. that version too. But let's uh, let's move on to a, a movie that at least has some integrity, unlike The Lion King, uh, mm-hmm. which is Dumbo. You have something very rare. You have wonder. You have mystique. Soar on that elephant's wings. 
What's happening? Where are they taking her? I, Chris, I'm going to read, as a synopsis, I'm going to read your Letterboxd review because it oh, made okay. me laugh and it was spot on. Uh, where you wrote, quote, an independent group of talented artists are absorbed by a giant entertainment conglomerate called Dreamland, only to be quickly exploited and abused by the eccentric self-aggrandizing founder who is only interested in his personal fame and fortune. Wait, who produced this again? Um, <laughs> uh, absolutely spot on. Um, yeah. I guess... Which made me feel like this has to be a Trojan horse i think right? it like is this has to be yeah, there's okay. and that's partially i mean we'll get into it i had a couple questions to ask you but I'll, I'll just while we're here i'll just say that was part of my reasoning for choosing it as a what is that i don't think this movie is fully successful and it's not as good as peach dragon but i definitely think it's a trojan horse and it has a flicker of that burton subversiveness that we used to see more consistently in the, the 80s mm-hmm. and the 90s so it's like the, there's a light still on there somewhere there's a beacon just waiting yeah. to to come out um well because this movie came out i mean for context the disney fox merger closed in 2019 i think you know movies like uh like all the fox movies that came out in 2019 like dark phoenix and ford v ferrari um and like a hidden life the terrence malick movie were all released under disney owned fox so the fact that this mm-hmm. came out like months before that deal like finalized or like around the time the deal was finalizing was like yeah you tim tim you knew what you were doing um oh and they didn't care because they're like it's tim burton and it's a live action dumbo so here's 170 million dollars alice in wonderland was successful so sure so successful holy shit dude that movie made so much money um probably one of the worst movies to make that much money except for like maybe one of the transformers movies but like um i guess i have even a two- then you're splitting hairs honestly yeah like yeah uh, at least like you're like ah the visual action in this one's good but it's horrible content and then this one's just garish and ugly and awful um and but insulting oh, totally but that's that's got to be the worst tim burton movie i think like um but we'll get into that i think i have a twofold question what is your history with the original dumbo and what is your sort of history with tim burton um, I have a very limited history with, I think, both. I watched Dumbo when I was a kid, but it was never one of my favorites. Um, and honestly, like right after I finished this uh, last night, uh, I jumped on and I uh, it was like 1230 in the morning when I started it and I had to work today. So I just kind of skimmed through the original 1941 Dumbo to get a refresher on uh, what, what had changed uh, between the two. Because I was like, I don't know exactly how different this is from the original um and it is pretty different there's a lot of allusions to the 41 original which i appreciated sort of in hindsight so i'm glad it did skim through the original but my brain kind of blurs um this in pinocchio um at least the original because i was just like when does he turn into a donkey that <laughs> traumatized me when i was a kid wait then, wrong movie <laughs> right it wasn't until i skimming through i was like oh no this was pinocchio that turns into a donkey but then in the del toro one that doesn't happen in the the latest like that the remake that they just did which is probably the best remake of a, a disney film but um and then speaking of tim burton I really don't have much of a history of Tim Burton. I just watched Edward Scissorhands for the first time last year. Um, yeah. I mean, really, like, my the movie of my childhood that was a Tim Burton movie was the 89 Batman. Well, And then other than that, 
I mean, that's fair because that was mine as well. But I would, I would, very closely in that would also be Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice. Um, yeah, but Which I didn't see Beetlejuice or uh, I didn't see Beetlejuice until college. Uh, and then, yeah, I just watched Edward Scissorhands last year, and then I know that he didn't direct it, but the produced Nightmare Before Christmas. Right, I didn't watch that until college. Wow. Okay. So this we're we're on we're on totally opposite ends of the coin here, and that's yeah. okay. And that's okay because I yeah. I am a I am a Burton completist slash somewhat apologist. Like I I I, I guess more recent apologist. I'm assuming. Yeah, more recent apologist is the way I would put it. Um, I guess really quickly, I don't have that much affinity for the original Dumbo. Like that. Uh, I've seen it. Uh, but like it's it was never one that was a big one that stuck with me and i i think you know speaking of nature versus nurture i think maybe that's just the secular uh nature of this episode and of course we're talking about kids movies so of course it's naturally mm-hmm. to come up like my mom really liked disney movies so like we had mm-hmm. a lot of like the vhs's especially when they started to release those from the vault um mm-hmm. so like we had dumbo but it was never really one i watched we did have pinocchio I think at my grandma's that one I did watch quite a bit. That one I, I remember pretty vividly, but was it the big clamshell yes. VHS? Yeah yeah. 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 I don't think, cause I went back to look through cause like as an, you know, as an adult or even like a teenager when, when uh, people always point out the dick on the little mermaid box, I was like, did yeah. we have that one? We didn't. I, I, I looked, um, but cause I'm like, I think it's worth a lot of money if you actually have mm-hmm. the one with the dick on it. But, um, but no, Tim Burton, my mom also liked Tim Burton movies as well. Uh, so like Edward Scissorhands was one of her favorite movies. And so I watched that, I don't know, probably like when I was like eight or nine, somewhere in there, like Nightmare Before Christmas, watched as a kid, adored that movie, Batman and Batman Returns. 89 Batman, I definitely watched too young. And like, as I'm sort of trying to recollect, I don't think I watched it in its entirety till I was older. I always like kind of got scared around like twofold when the Joker's in that chair uh when the doctor's like you could see the nerves are completely severed like that scene scared mm-hmm. me and then when he shoots jack palance when he's in the the shadows uh oh yeah i like, thought you were gonna say when he uh electrocutes that, that scene too like there was a lot of scary that scared scenes. the shit out of me that scene's terrifying too well even more terrifying uh then that is like less the dude getting fried and the human makeup over the joker makeup oh, with yeah, the yeah. permanent smile it's like terrifying um but like watch beetlejuice a lot as a kid i i have seen i was trying to look i was like i was like man is there a burton movie i haven't seen like do i have to come on mic and admit that i've seen like dark shadows <laughs> and like miss peregrine's home for peculiar children and big eyes and um yes the answer is yes i have seen all of those movies did he just he didn't he produce the new um wednesday family wednesday, wednesday. I, which i have not watched that one i have okay. not actually well, seen um but it's a series though <laughs> like but as sure, far as movies fair. i've seen everything the guy has done he was the filmmaker i probably like spielberg was that for probably a lot of people my generate our generation but like tim burton was probably the first director i knew by name so like mm. his earlier movies were like pretty important to me um, so naturally, I saw Dumbo in the theater, um, and I wasn't super high on it the first time, but I did not, it did not go unnoticed, the 
Trojan horse element that we were talking about where the mm-hmm. plot of this movie, it's, it takes place, I think in 1918, um, against 1919, um, it's so, right after world war one ends. That's right. Cause we have our, our, uh, one of our lead characters played by Colin Farrell comes back from the war. Uh, his wife mm-hmm. had passed away. Uh, he's missing an arm. Um, it's still set against the backdrop of the Spanish influenza, um, which like with that and like fame, I was like, this would be a chaotic double feature with Ty West's Pearl, like, oh. <laughs> like tone, like uh, tonally all wrong, but thematically ew, there's something there. <laughs> I yeah. think you could connect it to. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But like, he's part of a traveling circus. Who's, um, um, uh, Danny DeVito is the ringleader. Um, you know, and he's, he's pretty earnest. He's of course done his thing. Like when you're a showman, you have to fudge things a little. It's called like the Meraki brothers circus, um, Mm -hmm. which we find out there is no actual brothers. It's just him running the thing. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it's sold, you know, it's sold. And I felt like that was also more prescient. I feel like even in 2019, just as we're sort of like, you know, the economy is on everybody's mind. And so it's like, there's all the kinds of downsizing and that's, that's uh, again, like pretty, prescient so like when the strong man comes up to Danny DeVito he's like I'm just the strong man he's like yeah but you're also the accountant and you're also the this yeah, yeah. Person. you're in charge of uh, uh, inventory which means you handle the animals and yeah. like he's naming all the shit and it was just like oh this sounds familiar like, yeah it's like everyone's wearing many hats it's just like ah yep yeah the, all I've the buzzwords been, you're like yep I've been in this workplace before <laughs> and so it's like that sort of element of what Burton can bring because I think like he's he's definitely like like his design is like his eye is like very strong. He's his storytelling, maybe not always the best, but like he's got a strong design, but he's always had this sort of like sly sort of like comedic edge to his movies. Like, of course, like more directly in things like Pee Wee's big adventure and uh, Beetlejuice. Uh, But then in things like Edward Scissorhands, like the whole, like the suburbs being that like, uh, like uh, what is it? Pastel, colored mm-hmm. like all, all this like sort of cookie s- cutter yeah like, exactly idealistic it's like a it's like a board game it looks like a game of life yeah, yeah. like that or like mars attacks which is like mm-hmm. i love mars attacks i love mars attacks. coming soon to a good bad what near you it's definitely on the list oh, <laughs> um yeah. so like there's a bit of that subversive element to the movie um but then of course the movie kind of has to hit the beats of dumbo to a certain extent and also much like the lion king it's also a bloated version because dumbo is like an hour long hour and five minutes i think 60 yeah 64 minutes or something like that it's super short and this one's almost two hours long so they 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 almost double the length of this movie um they extend quite a bit of it exactly and so it's like and, and i think that's the other thing too is and also what sort of made it a what is like there's certain scenes in the movie especially after this little traveling circus you know i mean people probably familiar with the story of dumbo like the little elephant is born and is part of the circus act because they're struggling and it needs to get in the act somehow and they inexplicably found that this very big-eared small elephant can fly um and so word travels around town and they're bought by a you know massive conglomerate uh, who's ran by Michael Keaton. And that was the other thing, too, like, as a Burton apologist at this point. But, like, you know, there's a scene, in, it happens twice, where uh, Michael Keaton, Danny DeVito, and Alan Arkin all share the mm-hmm. scene. Alan Arkin, who's in Edward Scissorhands, and then DeVito yeah. and, and Keaton have been in multiple Tim Burton movies. 
Uh, so it was just like, it was kind of nice to see them all riff off of each other. And, you know, with this filmmaker that they have like a history with. So it was like, it kind of gave well, me some warm and fuzzies. <laughs> well, and Keaton and DeVito being specifically Batman Returns alums was just like, eh. And, I, was, I was just happy to see him. And role movie. reversal, reversing the hero and villain. As right. Well. Yeah, exactly. You know, Danny DeVito being the hero or one of the heroes of this movie versus Keaton playing the slime ball uh, villain mm-hmm. in the movie. Um, but then once they're bought by the conglomerate, because uh, he's got like a, a muse, um, Michael Keaton does, who's played by Eva Green, who, speaking of muse, is almost like Burton's new <laughs> muse outside of Helena Bonham Carter. <laughs> she's been in a lot oh, of yeah. she's been in a lot of recent Tim Burton movies, I think from like Dark Shadows on she's in just about everyone he's done um she's got that look super pale <laughs> like dark hair wears a like heavy eyeshadow like absolutely gothic look but there's a lot of like i think that the, the other reason i chose this as a what is like there's there's magic but it's like it's like something isn't quite firing um where like there's there's scenes where like her act like when her and dumbo are training together or her and then act like there's this sort of like swelling of the music which like of course danny elfman did the score for the movie it wouldn't be a tim yep. burton movie without it um and and some of it even sounds like the the um the ice sculpture scene from edward scissorhands like it sounds like a bit of like that score uh yeah. where winona riders out in the, the snow and so there's like a like a warmth to it but like it's not quite as visually dazzling where because it's it's still like disney remake gobbledygook there's still like burton production design sprinkled in with it like because it's like production design actual big ass sets merged with the cg as opposed to just being a blue wall which is what the lion king was um like there's actual like stuff but it just it's like the magic is there it's it's like a car trying to start like you could hear it you could hear like it might even fire a piston or two but then it kind of sputters and mm. so it was like, it's like almost there, almost yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, like I can I can see where you're going, but I don't know how we're going to get there. And we never quite do. And I, I felt the same thing about those scenes, especially it's like, I will say this. I think the cast does a great job. Yes. I love everybody in this movie. Everyone is uh, good and they're giving it their all. But yes, they're all giving it their all. And, and the, of course, Colin Farrell, who we just talked about recently, um, has like a major part in this movie, which is like that's the difference between this movie and the and the old Dumbo is that in the old Dumbo it was you know the usual talking animals and everything like we just saw in the, the Lion King movie because they didn't have a human element so the animals had to talk in this one it very much is the industry is led by people and people are the villains and the the victims caught in the crossfire is Dumbo and Dumbo's mother and all of these other animals and the other people um, the, the 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 acts from the circus who are caught in the crossfire of the greed and corporatism of Michael Keaton's character. And so it it's another great example of the, the messaging between th- this version and the 1941 version isn't a huge departure. It's not a complete from the ground up remake and it's only a remake by name only. There are shades there where you're like, yep, you know, it's still got the big-eared elephant. The big-eared elephant can fly. There's still some set pieces there, like putting out the fire and and um, and whatnot that's that's recognizable. But they introduce new characters in uh, Nico Parker, who uh, is 
most people now would probably recognize most recently from the last of us television show uh was joel's daughter in the first episode um and then i'm looking for the young boy and missing him i don't see him oh is it uh finley hobbins uh who's joe farrier yeah Um, that sounds about right so there's like two precocious children, which is uh, another, I think, Tim Burton staple. Uh, the precocious children who are much smarter than their age would uh, seem it to be and much more wise beyond their years. Who's leading around their father, again, Colin Farrell, who's returning from the war. He's missing a limb. Um, but, you know, picking up uh, where he left off back at the circus. And there's the whole cast of folks who are, are uh, the, the, the normal uh, or, I mean, they're like circus freaks, but in a tim burton movie uh, they are the gung-ho people that we're rooting for to rise above their station which of course they eventually do and so it has all the staples and stuff that you'd expect from a tim burton movie so he's adding his particular vision and flavor and flair to the movie while remixing what the 41 movie did and alluding to some of the major scenes but making it its own and then at the same time making it a somewhat concealed but not really fuck you to the studio system who's at that moment breathing down his neck i'm sure and i mean for me the movie mostly works yes i would agree and it's it's a I'm glad you said like the big F you because it, it, it is. And I think I, I got to find the interview, but like Tim Burton pretty much said the interview, like I'd never work for Disney again. Like this, this is a, I can't blame this him. is a, this is a bridge burner of a movie. Like, but like when you hear of like bridge burner movies, I wish it had more oomph. Like, like I, I respect that it got made uh, like you said, like we said, Trojan horse. I, I respect that it somehow, shine through at all because the sand edges could have been completely sanded off but it's still trapped within what it has to do which is unfortunate like but like it's still but i think it mostly works i think it mostly works because it's charming i think it mostly works because there's a vision behind it um you know it's not just like a soulless thing i think it works because it's pretty sweet um the other thing i i did note and i liked about the movie is that i i haven't seen the original in a really really long time um but i would say that this movie is also pretty um pretty effortlessly diverse with like the amount of cast that's in it like about the amount of people in it and um again i haven't seen the original long time but i'm I'm pretty sure the original dumbo is one of those on disney plus where you highlight it and it says uh like these are things this movie is a product of its time exactly it would be irresponsible to change these yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i I was uh i was fast forwarding it through last night like i told you and just try oh okay i kind of remember this scene i kind of remember this scene and then i got to the scene with the crows smoking cigars and on the timeline i went oh that's this movie (laughs) yeah i was like i i I, yeah (laughs) yep that is that. So those aren't in the Tim Burton movie. Um, no. They, they, they cut that scene out. <laughs> Wisely. Uh, it wasn't like, oh, we have to have it because of the mm-hmm. reasons. That, that might have even, like, I'm sure he got a bunch of notes working on this movie, but that probably was the very first note. They're like, don't include the crows. In no the racist crows. <laughs> Which is good. It's all the better for it. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, I think the movie does mostly work as well. I, I think the stakes, almost like Peach Dragon as well, which I kind of like appreciate, is like the personal stakes are drawn out well enough for the characters yeah. that like when it becomes 
kind of essentially a heist movie in the last like act of the movie, which is cool. Which I is love really the last cool. act of this movie. I think it works really well because usually these things get into like a big cacophonous like whatever, and I think the movie actually ramps up. Too many characters that are running here, there, and everywhere. Like yeah, yeah, it's really easy to follow what's happening at the end there, but then also like like you said, the stakes are really clearly defined because like because the movie has been very clearly like animals being abused. You're just like, yeah, man, like get Dumbo's mom out of there. Get Dumbo out of there because Dumbo's like the cutest goddamn thing in this movie. Yep. Um, Dumbo's the only thing that everything in this movie, like the Lion King, is very grounded and, and realistic in the CGI. Except for Dumbo, it's still got a very large round head and long ears and big Disney eyes and stuff. Like a very much like Disney plushy look to it. Yeah. Um, which I appreciate it that they're like, no, we're going to keep Dumbo looking somewhat iconic and looking somewhat cuter than everything else on the screen. Speaking of plushy, um, they're selling actual Dumbo plushies within the movie at the carnival, which was genius. Yep. I, I laughed so hard the second that they had that like kiosk of all these stuffed Dumbos. I was like. Because of course they would. <laughs> of course they would. And I was like, that's that's brilliant. I was like, that's yeah. the Tim Burton I know and love. Hell yeah. Like <laughs> Yeah. Which like a Disney a Disney exec would see that in the movie and wouldn't make a note about it because they go like, That's genius. We should have uh we should have uh plushies of Dumbo to sell along with the movie. And that's Tim Burton slyly being like no, you fuckers! Like, not everything needs to be a commercialized product that needs to go on a shelf. We're not, we're not all George Lucas. Like, we can just make a piece of art and not think about immediately the way to sell it. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this is—I was gonna say this is the closest he's made to that in like a while. I, I, but I'm gonna walk back on that statement because he did also for Disney. Uh, he did Frankenweenie in 2012, oh, which yeah. is great. Frank and Weenie is actually great. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. And so I love kids horror movies. Like there's not a lot. It's a very small genre, honestly, like oh, children's yeah. horror movies. They, it doesn't get breached off. And we got two in 2012, I think was when it came out. Cause Paranorman from Leica came out that same oh, year. Oh yeah. Um, when did monster house come out? 2006. Oh wow. Okay. That's a big gap. Yeah. Uh, Corpse Bride, I think was the year before that as well, which was Tim Burton. Um, yeah. Right. So yeah, uh, horror kids movies. Tim Burton is the the specialty on horror kids movies. We're spinning off into a new episode, horror kids movies. Let's Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything else I wanted to say before asking, like, what else you wanted to say about Dumbo. Oh, I guess I will say I, I found it very humorous that the like sort of uh, that the announcer for uh, the oh. circus is Michael Buffer. <laughs> so when he shows up and you hear like, you know exactly what's going to come out of his mouth that he's going to say, let's get ready for Dumbo. And I was mm-hmm. like, I laughed so hard. I was like, <laughs> I just thought that was funny that they, that oh, they yeah. included him in it to, to basically just say that line. <laughs> like the only reason they cast him was to do that in that exact same way. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And and Bruce and Michael Buffer have a copyright on uh, that voice style, one. And both of them have a copyright on Let's Get Ready to Rumble and um, uh, It's Time that he says at UFC fights. Oh, yeah. Um, They they have those, like, copywritten. So I'm sure they had to pay, like, a premium fee just to have them in the movie, which I think, for me, that kind of makes it a little bit better that they're, like, like a little bit of a connection to the real world in this fantasy world that we've made. I love a uh, little like grounded bits of like familiarity, but like in a magical world that you can toss that in. Like we were talking about with Pete's gra- dragon, everything else in the world around Pete's dragon is grounded. 
which makes the fantasy feel a bit closer to home mm-hmm. uh, and a bit more uh, relatable and, and easier to accept. Um, I don't have much else to say about the movie except for the fact that of the three picks that we've talked about today i haven't seen the 77 original pete's dragon so i can't definitively say for certain whether or not like you know it's better i going from people's judgments i'll probably just assume that it is but i think of the three picks this one i would give a strong recommend even in favor of the 41 original dumbo because the 41 original dumbo when i was watching it last night for 1941 the handmade, like uh, the the uh, hand-drawn animation and the the cell animation that they used to make that movie, still holds up. It's still incredible. There's still some great sequences. I still love the um, elephants on parade, the pink elephants. Yep. Um, Which they scene. allude, to, they homage in this movie with the bubbles. They allude yeah. to, but Dumbo isn't hammered, so like, why even do it? Um, <laughs> but I like like I watched the the 41 original. And I told you I was like scanning through the timeline. I got to that scene. I was like, oh yeah, and I hit play. I was like, this scene's great. I loved it. The scene when I was a kid, and it still holds up. But the there's enough that's faithful to the original 41 Dumbo that doesn't have all like the strange race stuff in it. And I think some of the themes of the 41 original Dumbo that carried over here are done a bit better about animal abuse and about sort of the poison that the entertainment industry can have on artistry and how it can abuse and suck the life out of real feeling things and people um it's honestly like i don't know if you feel the same way but i was watching this movie and as it was ending i was just like this is like it's not a it's not a strong movie it's got some issues I, i don't think through and through it's like a great movie or anything but i enjoyed enough of it and if we were going to be comparing it to its source material, this is a very, very, very strong example of a remake. I would agree with that, 100%. And I think that I'm glad you brought up the end. We don't need to get into specifics, but I'll say it ends pretty strong, too. That's that's the other thing, is like these things tend to fumble the bag um, mm-hmm. as well. And uh, it, it ends actually very, very satisfying uh, for everyone involved. Um, obviously, also a little, little motion picture love, because they have a little pictograph in the new circus um so like i i loved loved seeing stuff like that so um no i i think you know and i haven't seen the 41 in a really long time i probably should have did a little bit more research but i i think i would agree with you 100 percent, just because i think they expand on a lot of that stuff they do it better um it has a vision behind it much like peach dragon does like even if it's a little wobbly um it's certainly there and so i i think i would do it and then yeah, I mean, no need to beat a dead horse. Twenty nineteen Lion King, we do not recommend over the nineteen ninety four. Beat in, a dead lion. In, in, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, do not recommend that over the ninety four in any way, shape, or form. Just no. go watch the nineteen ninety four one. Um, and yeah, I mean, we'll see, man. I, I guess to before we wrap up, I mean, like these things are still being made. Um, yep. You know, like Peter Pan and Wendy is on Disney Plus this week, which I will give a shot too because it's david lowry um memorial day weekend there's the live action little mermaid that comes out um which i had no interest in seeing until i saw all the conservatives be butthurt about a black ariel so i'm gonna go see it out of spite um i might drink a bud light while i'm doing it too so come at me bros um (laughs) no man like come on the 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 skin color of a fictional fucking mythical creature 
totally matters in this children's film, man. Like, we should really be up in arms about this. So, so, so upsetting. Uh, Fucking so, losers. Yeah, so out of spite, I will go see it. But I, outside of that, I will be transparent. I have zero interest in that movie. Um, especially because it's by Rob Marshall. Um, and I'm assuming it's going to be another shot for shot. They won't change anything at all. Any of the golden era movies, because that's been this, the case. Like, Lion King shot for shot. Aladdin, from my understanding, shot for shot. Beating the Beast was shot for shot. Yeah. Uh, Little Mermaid, I think, was the start of the golden, like the golden era. So oh, yeah, it'll be shot for shot, a hundred percent. And I was reading today, I somehow missed that they're doing a live action Lilo and Stitch movie, which is super weird. Oh. Well, and they're making a live action Moana. They are. I did read that because Dwayne Johnson was going to come back and reprise yeah. his role. And oh, and they did. Oh, I was trying to remember the other. One that I hadn't seen, and it's Mulan. I haven't seen the live-action Mulan, oh, which I heard is... Megan did. I've heard it's solid. It's at least different enough from the animated one. Um, I can go drag Megan out of bed and ask her uh, what she thought about it. <laughs> Guess story. I just want to hold on a bit. Let me go get my wife. <laughs> I just know they, they cut the songs out of that one, and they cut out uh, Mushu. So I, I know it's mm-hmm. at least somewhat different um but i just haven't seen it yet so but uh or maybe i won't i don't know uh, <laughs> i, I think no they're interested in seeing it i thought they also talked about doing a live action hercules and a live action aladdin or not aladdin they already did that live action tarzan which i also thought was really funny because i'm like aren't both those things public domain like they've made well, we oh go ahead sorry we, we, i was gonna say we already have a live action uh tarzan with brendan fraser Right, George of the Jungle. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there was that one from like 2016 with Alexander Skarsgård and Margot Robbie. Oh my God! Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because Tarzan. Oh, I never saw it. I, I saw half of it. It's actually not too bad. Um, oh, I haven't okay. finished it, but um, but like Tarzan's public domain. So, yeah. <laughs> hey, look, if you're gonna all all I say is if you're going to remake Tarzan, you got to get Phil Collins back. That's the only thing I care about. Oh, he's retired. Is I don't he? think you're going to get him back. Yeah. Oh. He's not doing live concerts anymore. I don't love the animated Tarzan. It's not my favorite, but that Phil Collins soundtrack is a banger. It is so Dude. good. <laughs> I mean, you can say that about really any Phil Collins album, but now we're we're circling into old man corner of, of talking about <laughs> 80s musical artists on top of why why the 90s why the 90s animated films were better than the films of today oh uh, this is this is really an old man yells at cloud episode <laughs> was, I'm, I'm just now realizing i was just going to say that this which we, is also a 90s reference <laughs> yeah, we we it's become fuck's sake <laughs> we've become those people it's, it's oh no it's uh, it's like those ads Damn where it's like we, we can't prevent you from becoming your parents, but we can prevent like whatever. It's that's anyway. Uh, before we embarrass ourselves further, let's wrap this episode up. Um, <laughs> so we had a couple things to plug. Next week will be another Patreon exclusive. We're going to be doing a catch-up of all the theatrical releases in April. Maybe not all, because I'm like, I'm running out of time. and I There's a trillion. Yeah. And I haven't seen Air, and I haven't seen uh, Showing Up, and eh, maybe not. But I can say for certain the movies we will talk about are the Super Mario Brothers movie. We will talk about uh, Renfield. We will talk about How to Blow Up a Pipeline. We will talk about Bo is Afraid. And we will talk about Evil Dead Rise. Uh, those it's... ones I could say for sure. Maybe another couple other movies will sprinkle in there, but uh, all dependent on time. Well, and should I tease? I, oh, yeah, the, yeah, I guess I should tease what my next one is going to be. So, um, 
in, uh, I, I guess, probably should have. No, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> I'll leave it as is. Um, in, in, I guess, um, honor of the new Evil Dead movie coming out, uh, I figured we would do uh, other cabin-bound creature features. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that episode. I think it's going to be a very, very fun one. And I look forward to seeing, well, it's an awkward thing, because you're listening, to, we recorded this episode so early, I was just going to say, I look forward to seeing Evil Dead Rise, but by the time you, the listener, are hearing this episode... I will have seen Evil Dead Rise, and then you will hear us talk about it the week after it. Uh, but at the time of this recording, I've not seen Evil Dead Rise yet. But I look forward to that episode. But in the meantime, you can find and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can subscribe to us at our Patreon at patreon.com slash goodbadwhat. It's only a dollar, so definitely check that out. It's 100% worth it. You can follow us on Instagram and Hive at the Good Bad What, or you can email us at the Good, the Bad, the What at gmail.com. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and soundcloud link you can find in the show notes respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. And you can follow me on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with a Patreon exclusive of April Catch-Ups. We'll be back on May 12th with Cabin Bound Creature Features. Mm-hmm.